1: my mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Don't look now, but this market has morphed into a totally hateable beast. Not a bear, but certainly not a bull. There is an astounding lack of interest and conviction in individual stocks, which allows large institutional money managers to make or break stocks with their own big orders. That also holds true for the broader averages, although today it was a wash. Dow inching up 11 points, S&P advancing 0.11%, NASDAQ gaining 0.16%. Meanwhile, we have the most bizarre cross currents I've seen in ages. As I mentioned last night in an interview with American Electric Power, this giant utility, America's Biggest, has suddenly become a star, along with the rest of its peers. Same goes for some of the safer, higher-yielders. Verizon has been bouncing furiously, and it looks like the Procter & Gamble is done going down. Even the real estate investment trusts have gotten their groove back. Simon Property Group, the big mall owner, saw its stock soar nearly 4% today. Federal Realty Shopping Center zoomed up more than 2%. Why? Okay, a little complex. Because the money managers buying these stocks believe that we're going to have a trade war. And that will trigger a recession. I'm not kidding. That's their thinking. These guys are just buying a big real estate investment trust index. They're taking up the whole group. Ventos was up huge today. Even as they may not particularly like some of these uh, REITs. I can't believe they like the retail-oriented REITs. What they see, though, is a cohort with no international exposure. Therefore, no trade war with high yields, which is what you want if you're pessimistic about the state of the global economy. And how about the way so many major tech stocks are so quick to give up their gains after reporting spectacular quarters like we saw with Intel? That's big money looking for something to sell in order to raise cash. Now, it's a lot easier to sell winners than losers in this market because there's some bids. There's guys willing to buy it. Now, it's incredibly stupid to sell your winners in order to fund your losers. Something I'm going to be talking about in a boot camp that I'm giving Saturday part, part of the street.com. Hope to see you there because you should not be selling your, lo- your winners to, sell your, to fund your losers. You should be selling your losers to fund your winners. Still, these foolish traders are so afraid that they're rather, they'd rather sacrifice the stocks of great companies that are doing well than bad ones. Why? Because they know they won't crush the price of something like Intel when they sell a large chunk of it versus, say, a lot of the losers that just keep going down and down and down. We'll be talking to one later in the show. What can I say? If you have an attention span greater than a mayfly, you're getting some serious buying opportunities here because things just aren't as bad as the sellers seem to believe. It's just they're too negative. How long can this go on? There have been consistent outflows of stocks to the point where I feel like I want to take the other side of the trade. Billions of dollars have fled this market since the volatility began and the placid nature of the market ended. Now, that's what creates opportunities. But you have to know what to buy, when to buy it, and you have to be able to stomach, stomach the trading. Which is just god awful. Which brings me to the game plan for next week. Well, Monday we hear from Allergan. Now this is a drug company that we own for my charitable trust, and much to my chagrin, it has been a huge disappointment for the last year. Can CEO Brent Saunders turn this thing around, or is the competition from the likes of Revance Therapeutics for Botox, which we had on the show recently, simply too dire? Will their brand new migraine drug, perhaps to be approved later this year, move the needle? We'll know soon enough. But wow. It has been a house of pain. McDonald's reports too. And this stock is no man's land. It's a very well-run company. It's in the sweet spot of what this market now craves, defense. I just wish it yielded more than 2.5%, which isn't enough to attract investors who really want income and protection from the selling elements. It's neither here nor there. Tuesday morning, we get results from BP. I bet it's gonna tell a real good growth story. Chevron rallied nicely today when it reported a strong quarter. I think the same thing could happen here, maybe even more pronounced. Now, Merck's got a positive tale to tell when they report. They've got this drug, Keytruda. It's a successful anti-cancer franchise. And the stock has traction. But really important, CEO Ken Frazier is not promotional. So the stock may not rip even with a good quarter. We hear from Under Armour, too. And we had CEO Kevin Plank on the show a couple of months ago. He said the company's pulling out of its slump. I think it's a longer-term turn. But maybe you can buy some before the quarter and some after. Nike short-turned before the stock turned, before the company did. That's what happens. By the, by the way, by the way, Ulta's having the same thing. Ulta hasn't turned yet, the company, but the stock has in advance. That could happen to Under Armour. After the close Tuesday, different story, Apple reports. Now, we've been telling Plus.com club members that we think the quarter's going to be a weak one. But the company will announce a good return of capital. It has a lot of cash. If you can stomach a shortfall for an already cheap stock, this might be exactly the kind of thing you'd want to own during a downturn. That said, the faint-hearted may not be able to handle the roller coaster between the weak quarter and the strong buyback. Wednesday morning – we hear from Clorox. Now, lots of people have been waiting for this one to pull back to safer levels, for much higher levels than it was. And that's exactly what's occurred over the last couple of weeks. Clorox is the highest quality consumer packaged goods stock that happened to, be, to, happen to slip last quarter. I think it's a buy in, in, into this number um, because the group seems to be bottoming as fears of tariff-induced slowdowns take hold. Got a 3% yield. I think it was a one-off bad quarter. Now, when Visa reported a monster quarter yesterday, it took up MasterCard with it. All right, listen, they're pretty similar. That MasterCard pulled back today. I think it's worth buying some ahead of the quarter. I expect a good one. After the close, we get results from Kraft Heinz. Ooh, quandary here. Got a 4% yield. We like that, right? Seems to protect the stock. But the company's a deal machine, and right now it looks like no one wants to sell the company to Kraft Heinz. I believe the Kraft Heinz, though, could have something surprisingly positive to say about an acquisition. I bet the risk-reward is finally good here. $57 stock, let's see. Down 40 points, almost 40 points at a straight down, straight line. That's unusual. I see it as a two down, five up situation. For the traders out there, it's probably right. Okay, Thursday, Dow DuPont reports, and I am very conflicted here. And look, the company's run by the amazing Ed Breen. I bet she he clocks the number. He's going to try to unlock value. He's breaking the company up. But in the interim, this is the kind of stock you got to avoid if you're worried about tariffs, because Dow DuPont's agriculture business could get hurt if our government pressures Brazil as part of its anti-steel dumping campaign. It almost doesn't matter what the company says. You see, because there's a May 1 deadline, to see what countries are going to get dinged by our tariffs. And that's going to be more important to the stock than its actual quarter two days later. Let's wait and see what happens before we pull the trigger because they've got a huge business with Brazil. It's entirely possible that the government, government goes after Brazil. Friday, we get the numbers to end all numbers. That's the Labor Department's non farm payroll report. Yes, the unemployment report. This will tell us exactly how much of what we see on our screens is fanciful. And how much is real? In other words, is recession really lurking just around the corner as much as today's action would have you believe? If the hiring number is strong, I think the notion of a severe slowdown will be taken off the table. Given the lack of clarity, though, in this market, Friday's employment figure will be even more important than usual. We also hear from Newell Brands. I don't expect this to be a good quarter, but I also believe the stock is bottoming. They've made some important changes to the board of directors and came out with an aggressive plan to sell underperforming assets. Again, I don't want to be too wishy-washy, but I recommend buying a small position ahead of the quarter in case the turnaround starts soon. Sooner than I expect, then wait for the asset sales to buy more. Here's the bottom line. If you look at what was working today and what wasn't, it's clear a new consensus is starting to emerge. Wall Street thinks that we're about to have trade wars everywhere on Earth, and it will bring the global economy to a screeching halt. Look, anything's possible these days, but I think that forecast is way too dire. So look out for buying opportunities into weakness, even as you need to be prepared to sell into strength as the so-called macro environment remains way too worrisome and uncertain for all but the most stout-hearted of investors. I need to go to Matt in New Hampshire. Matt. Hey, Jim. How's it going? <laughs> well, Matt, it was a very confusing day. Some of the best stocks went yes. down. Some of the worst stocks went <laughs> up. How can I
0: help? I've got a question about Array Biopharma. It's A-R-R-Y for ticker symbol. They're up 500% in two years and down 30% in two months. Uh, I've been into them for two years. They've got 15 drugs and clinical trials, $400 million in the bank. They're partnered with some of the biggest names in biotech. And uh, is this a good time to buy? What's, what's your no, thoughts on that? No, outlook?
1: this market is being so tough on the majors, it's really taking apart the minors. I want you to be careful. You own it, you can, you can hold it. But understand, this market's become very unkind to anything. It doesn't have a huge yield and is at all, at all suspect in any way, shape, or form. Chad, in Massachusetts, Chad. Booyah, Kramer. There you go. Is that spirit or what? I mean, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, What's going on? I
0: try my best. And you My do. question is about Chegg. It's an online platform that provides students, tutors, who respond minutes after a question
1: is posted. The company has no debt. A new record of 2.2 million
0: subs in 2017 with expanding gross margins at 74% and the EBITDA increase of one Right. No, Dan
1: wife's done a great job, Chad. He's done a great job. As a matter of fact, we got a downgrade today. Why? Because it had moved up so much. I think it's a consistent, good company. I can see it resting here falling because the market is so darn hard. Let's go to Ellis in Arkansas, please. Ellis. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I am good. How about you? Well, I don't know. I'm not doing so good, I guess, like
0: everyone else in the market.
1: It's gotten very hard
0: uh jim I, I, my stock is PPG, and I worked there a long time like thirty eight years and they used to do pretty good, you know it'd go up and then split and then go up and split again. but it seemed like the last three years when this new CEO took over, it just been sort of flat, went down, and never never went back up after it split.
1: Well, look, he's got so There's real headwinds here. You've got raw costs that went up since Michael came in. You've got a, a challenger that came into one of the big box retailers that cost them some business. And you have what I now you have trade wars and they're a big international business. So it's just gotten very tough. I could say what we just said about PPG, about another hundred companies. But I got to move on because we got another rest of the show to do. Look, anything is now possible, but I do think the consensus that is saying that we're about to have a recession is too dire, which is why you need to look out for some buys, but not aggressive. Well, man, money tonight, could a late start to spring have a big impact on a company like Briggs and Stratton? Have You seen that stock? Wow. I'm going to sit down with the CEO, see if it can turn around. Then we're on tariff watch tonight. Now I'm revealing how a trade conflict could impact household names like Walmart and Apple. And I tell you, there's always a bull market somewhere, and tonight I'm a company that's smack in the middle of one, despite the market's unknowns. So stick with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: So far this reporting season, we've gotten a few disturbing signs that, at least for some companies, like, say, Caterpillar, the earnings may have peaked last quarter. It's worrisome. It's worrisome if it's true which is why I wanna investigate whenever I see something similar. Consider the case of Briggs & Stratton, the company that makes gasoline engines for outdoor power equipment, along with their own pressure washers, snow blowers, and small consumer-oriented power generators. Briggs & Stratton reported on Wednesday, and the numbers were actually pretty darn disappointing. While the company delivered a one-cent earnings beat off an 83-cent basis, its revenues came in light, up just 1.2% year-over-year, and its margins were under pressure. But more importantly, management cut their full-year guidance across the board. They cut their revenue forecast, they cut their margin forecast, they cut their earnings forecast. On the other hand, the lower guidance mostly seems to be the result of some number, let's say, one-time-only issues. Still, the stock got slammed. It lost 11% of its value yesterday. And while it made up some of those losses in today's session, we got to take a closer look at this. So let's check in with Todd Teske, the president, chairman, and CEO. Briggs and Stratton, learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Teske, welcome back to Mad Money.
0: Great to be here, Jim. Thanks.
1: All right. So, Todd, walk us through what happened here, because I know that you had a a craftsman uh, took over in Lowe's. You had some issues with freight. There's also obviously some weather issues. How do we make sense of these? And what is the real Briggs and Stratton run rate, so to speak?
0: Yeah, Jim, if you take a look at what happened with the guidance, I mean, the quarter didn't come in too badly, but ultimately the guidance was the problem. And there was a number of transitory things that happened. We had the situation where Craftsman is going to be transitioning next season into Lowe's. And so some of the channel partners that we have are keeping a very close eye on inventories to prevent some of the markdown dollars and the transition costs that go along with transitioning a brand. And by the way, this is a pretty significant transition that's going on. And then on top of that, we had obviously a lot of very strange weather events. We had the nor'easters in the northeast. We had historic uh, snowstorms here up in the upper Midwest. And when you look at it, the season really hasn't broken yet across the country. And so we just thought it was prudent to, to to guide to a lower number simply because of these transitory kind of more one-time things. Yet at the same time, when you look at what's been happening, we're executing on our strategy. I mean. When you, when you look at our, our commercial, uh, last time I was on, we talked a little bit about mm-hmm. the commercial sales, and we have a tremendous focus on that. And so if you look at trailing 12 uh, months, it, we are up about 13%. So, I mean, we have a huge focus on that. It is coming okay. through, and we're also making some investments through our business optimization that really focus on commercial mowers and commercial engines. Right. And so there's a number of things that are happening, and I think... There was just a lot of different moving pieces, okay. which is why I think you probably saw the stock react the right. way it did. Now, what did
1: exactly happen at Lowe's? Because I think our viewers are going to say, well, what are they saying? Craftsman, Lowe's, Briggs & Stratton. I want to buy Briggs & Stratton. Did Lowe's decide to go only with Craftsman?
0: So here's what happened. So Craftsman has historically been at Sears, but several months ago, Stanley, Black & Decker bought the Craftsman brand and ultimately now are going to be taking it into Lowe's. That got announced a few months ago. And so what's happening is we've been, we've been with Craftsman for quite some time. When you look at the Craftsman brand and the Briggs brand together, uh, it's two iconic brands mm-hmm. that are out there. And we've been at Sears for quite some time with that. Now as they transition and Stanley Black and Decker is going well beyond the outdoor power space, you're starting to see the transition happen where uh, some brands, there's going to be some brands that are there today that are going to either transition out or, or become lesser. And so you've got the transition cost that are out there if there's too much inventory at the end of the season. So the channel partners, again, are really working their way through it. But we're excited about uh, that we've we've powered Craftsman for a long time and we want to do whatever we can to help with this transition that's going on at Lowe's.
1: Got it. Now,
0: you've returned
1: $355 million since fiscal year 2012. But your market cap right now is $780 million. That's kind of weird when you think about it. Uh, it's almost like either your market cap's too low or, you've, or you send too much back to the shareholders. In retrospect, was there another way to be able to create value other than just because the stock is way low, and yet you spin off all this cash that shareholders get?
0: Well, it really comes back to, Jim, it's our capital allocation policy. And so. As we go through and, and look to reinvest in the business, which, which is exactly what we're doing with our business optimization. Uh, and then we, we look for acquisitions. And you've seen us do some smaller acquisitions. We will do larger acquisitions, but we want to we want to be very careful in terms of making sure we can get that return on investment and, and the return on capital that we're looking for. And then lastly, we'll return money to the shareholders. And so oh, wow. we do that through dividends and we do that through share buybacks. And so share buybacks have been one of those things that we've used to return the money to the shareholders.
1: So is this a good opportunity? Because your stock has really gotten clobbered. You're down to a 3% yield, which to me says that's unusual for, for Briggs and Stratton.
0: Well, when I, when I look at the long-term opportunities that we have, it's really exciting. And that's why it's a little frustrating when you go through a quarter like this where you do okay in the quarter, but there's some really transitory things that are out there. But when you look at the longer term strategy, it's solid. This is the fundamentals of this company are really solid. We're executing on that strategy. And there's a lot of really great things, on the, especially on the commercial side, but also on the residential side. There's some tailwinds that we start to see coming down the pike with housing and that sort of thing. So there's a lot to be optimistic about. It's just, you know, you, you get into one of these quarters where things didn't quite work out in right. terms of the guidance that we had to give.
1: Fair enough. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming back on. Yeah, tough quarter, but the stock yields three now, and you got the spring coming. Thank you so much, Todd Tessie, Chairman, President, CEO of Briggs & Stratton. Good to
0: see you, sir. Thanks a lot, Jim. Stick with Kramer.
1: I said it before. I'll say it again. My main worry in this market is not interest rates, it's trade, specifically the ongoing dispute with our, uh, let's say, friends in China. Fortunately, the conflict seemed to simmer down this week. In fact, just this morning, President Trump sent out a tweet where he called Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping his uh, good friend. He's even sending Larry Kudlow, the White House Chief Economic Advisor, and erstwhile host of Kudlow and Kramer, over to Beijing in order to negotiate some sort of deal, hopefully. But it would be a mistake to think we put this issue behind us. The problem with trade is that everyone is actually behaving, not irrationally, but rationally. See, let's think about this. People don't put it like this, but I'm going to. The Chinese government has every reason in the world to place its thumb on the scales in favor of Chinese companies. President Trump is totally justified in wanting to crack down exactly on that kind of behavior. But you can't crack down on China without hurting large swaths of the American economy. Why? Because China's our biggest trading partner, which is why no previous administration has even tried to do what President Trump is doing. The point is, you can't unravel a trade dispute with a phone call or a meeting. It takes a long time, and the process is likely to be very painful for a lot of people. Making things even more difficult, we have a bunch of catalysts coming up that could push the story back into the front pages. Remember the president's steel and aluminum tariffs? On Tuesday, we find out which of our allies uh, are going to get hit with them and which will stay exempt. Plus, next week is the Big China Summit, where hopeful, hopefully Larry will be able to make some sort of progress. And let's not forget that the president has told us he's going to slap tariffs on $100 billion worth of Chinese imports once he decides what to target. It's going to be a very, very big deal. I want you to understand why this tariff-slash-trade issue is so difficult for the market to get its arms around. So let me put this whole trade dispute... In perspective, using a pair of instantly recognizable household names, Apple and Walmart. If this trade war keeps escalating, these two iconic American companies could potentially get caught in the crossfire. But more likely, only one of them will end up getting shelled. Uh, Either we'll have a trade war that damages companies like Walmart or a trade war that damages companies like Apple. That's because trade policy is like robbing Peter to pay Paul. There's always a winner, and there's always a loser. This whole dispute kicked into high gear when president moved, the president moved to protect our steel and aluminum producers from unfair government-subsidized Chinese competition. He also wants to protect our technology companies from China's flagrant disrespect for intellectual property laws. Everybody in, in major companies that I talked to behind the scenes says it's true. So uh, who are the potential winners? Who are the losers? Okay, last week, Reuters published a very, very, I'd say, on-point piece titled... Trump's next $100 billion tariff dilemma. The core premise, there's no way to impose tariffs on $100 billion worth the Chinese imports, about a fifth of our total imports for the People's Republic, without hurting the consumer. He can target expensive technology like cell phones and computers, or he can target cheap toys and clothing, footwear, furniture, consumer goods. He can target whole sectors, $44 billion of consumer electronics, $37 billion of computer equipment, $22 billion in voice, image, and data recorders. That gets you to $105 billion. Or maybe the White House will target consumer industrial goods, which will come to $101 billion altogether. Basically, we can slap a big tax on a couple of important ty- types of technology that could ultimately hurt Apple. Stay tuned about how that could happen. Or we can hit a huge basket of consumer goods, a Walmart tariff that will directly hurt you. Now, you'd think Walmart would be the most vulnerable, right? After all, Walmart sources a lot of its merchandise from China, and the Chinese totally dominate some of these categories. Say the administration decides to target discretionary items, toys, games, sporting goods. China accounts for more than 81% of all U.S. imports in those areas. Imagine That means prices would soar, and while Walmart can pass those costs on to you, the consumer, if you slap a 20% tax on toys, well, people will buy fewer toys. China is a smaller source of apparel, footwear, and furniture, also Walmart staples. These things are necessities, which means any tariff-induced price increases will be more noticeable. And that's only the half of it, because in a trade war with China, Walmart is something else to worry about. The company gets 10% of its sales from the People's Republic. It has roughly 450 stores there. American retailers doing business in China would make really obvious targets for retaliation. So the more heated this dispute gets, the more Walmart's Chinese business gets put at risk. But you know what? I actually think Apple, which reports next week, has the bigger target painted on its back. It's what I've been telling people who subscribe to the ActionAlertsPlus.com club to be worried about because the trust owns it. We import a lot of phones and computers and components from China, and many of Apple's products are assembled there. That's right. Your smartphone may have been put together by communists. In fact, the iPhone may be the most terrifying communist plot since the fluoridation of the water supply. But we can leave that for another time. We'll just give it a Google. Here's the issue. If President Trump wants to hit $100 billion worth the Chinese imports with tariffs, the easiest, most straightforward way to do that would be to target various types of electronics. There are lots of ways this could hurt Apple. It could raise the cost of their components. It could disrupt their supply chain. Or worst of all, it could trigger... Chinese retaliation. Every time we escalate this trade dispute, either with tariffs or with the Justice Department investigations into major Chinese technology companies, Apple becomes a target of retaliation. Given that the greater China uh, region accounts for 20% of this company's sales and it's growing quickly, some Chinese tariffs or a government-organized boycott could be devastating. Our government has started making life difficult for Chinese smartphone makers like ZTE and uh, Huawei. Maybe China's government decides to retaliate by going after Apple. Perhaps that's why CEO Tim Cook paid a visit to the White House earlier this week and why he was in Beijing just last month. I don't know if these trips are a positive sign, Cook has the clout to keep Apple out of the crossfire, or a negative sign. Maybe his reason to be nervous and he's trying to do some damage control here. That said, it's always better to be in the room when these decisions are being made. And given the amount of jobs Apple's created since Trump was elected, I bet he finds a sympathetic ear in the White House. I certainly hope he doesn't go after, the president doesn't go after Apple, but because so much of, the, of their phones are made in China and then import it here. That would be really bad. But Apple does have a lot to lose. In fact, I'd say they even have more to lose than Walmart if this trade war keeps escalating. Why? First of all, they have more direct China exposure than Walmart. More importantly, though, while most of the media coverage has been focused on the steel and aluminum, the technology front of the trade wars has gotten pretty serious. We banned that American companies from selling components to ZTE, the big Chinese smartphone and telco equipment play, and the Justice Department is conducting an investigation to determine whether to do the same thing to ZTE's larger competitor, Huawei. Just today, we learned that the administration is thinking about conducting more thorough reviews of American tech companies that work on artificial intelligence with Chinese partners. Makes sense, the biggest problem our government has with China is their cavalier treatment of American intellectual property. When we hit ZTE, the Chinese moved to block or at least delay Qualcomm's attempted acquisition of the NXP Semiconductor. It was very much a you hit one of ours, we hit one of yours. NXP was up today almost as people thinking there could be a truce. I don't know. So if if White House keeps focusing on tech, look, what can I say? Apple's going to be in the play some. Bottom line. If our trade war with China escalates from here, I think the battles will either be fought on the Walmart front or the Apple front. And until we get more clarity, that's bad news for the stocks of both iconic American companies. Of course, if the president decides we don't need tariffs on $100 billion worth of Chinese imports and it was just the opening bid and the art of negotiating, that will be a major positive for Apple and Walmart and tons of other companies. But for now, we just don't know which is a big—we don't know which is going to be. And that's a big reason why the market's gotten so much harder to navigate. Than just three short months ago before any of this was on our radar screen let's go to jack in indiana jack hey jim how are you it's jack calling from the kelly school of business oh Incredibly man you're honored. a second kelly school of business caller this week i love it what's going on Hey, I got a question on FANG stocks for you. Currently, about 40% of my portfolio is in FANG stocks, mostly Apple and Facebook. Okay. The rest is in cash, ETFs, and other tech stocks. I was wondering if I wanted to reposition my portfolio. What Fang stock should I consider trimming? Well, remember, Apple is not a Fang stock. Amazon is the A. Apple, I've always felt is a little too hard, and I really think it's just getting harder with China and with the upcoming number, uh, upcoming uh, report that we get that I think could be weak. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing it in something that's just domestic that I wouldn't have to worry about, so I lose sleep. Uh, so go to you know go see some of the stuff that we've been buying for the uh, uh, uh charitable trust, and I think you'll feel better. I think you're. Too too heavily invested in Fang and quite frankly, with the wrong A. If the trade war with China escalates, it's bad news for Walmart and Apple. Of course, we're getting some sources tonight saying maybe these, uh, the extent that could get extension on the May 1 deadline. That would be interesting. It would just drag everything out even more. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen. But now you know why everyone's so nervous. Much more may have money ahead. Including my exclusive with a company that's the nation's largest player in the Obamacare. Business, at least in the most narrow part. How's it faring under a new administration? Don't miss my exclusive with Centene. Then I'm revealing the true takeaway of last night's conference calls from the big dogs Microsoft, Intel, Amazon, and all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Okay, just because the markets become more challenging, and we all know that, that doesn't mean we give up on finding winners around here. Just means we gotta be a little more selective. So in a world where everybody's worrying about trade or 10 year treasuries or inflation, what kind of stock will let you sleep at night? How about something like Centene, the health plan provider that's focused heavily on government sponsored programs like Medicaid, Medicare. Centene doesn't need to worry about a commodity. It doesn't have any exposure to China. It's exactly the kind of stock that can work if you're concerned that an economy, this one may be losing some steam. When the company reported Tuesday morning, this week, it delivered a gigantic 29 cent earnings beat off a of $1.88 basis. It's slightly weaker than expected revenue of 12.5 percent year-over-year, but we can challenge that. More importantly, while Centene Company it raised its full-year earnings forecast, and it has game-changing acquisition that can close soon, and that's what I care about. This was not a perfect quarter. Wall Street had a mixed response. Stock dipped nearly three bucks on Tuesday before bouncing back, including a nice $1.17 move today. I think the numbers are better than they're getting credit for. So let's take a close look with Michael Nidorf, the chairman and CEO of Centene, find out more about how. It's- Companies doing worse. Hey, Mr. Donoff. welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Great to be here. Have a seat. Good Thank to see you. you. Now, I, I think that you probably agree with me, be, not just because you want to attack your stock because you don't mm, do that, no. but the, this is a market that is making snap judgments and then doing homework later. Yours is a classic example, immediately hit, ever since then working its way up, as if people say, wait a second, why did I throw that away?
2: We beat the quarter. By five cents, right. we raised guidance by 18 on the core of business. We learned something: don't build in an acquisition until it closes. We called guidance down because the Fidelis acquisition was delayed a quarter, so we had right. to back that out. We're not going to do that
1: anymore. But you know what? I got to tell you, I'm going to disagree with you. I didn't know that the t- New York State Attorney General could hold this up since I thought it was a done deal myself. I would have completely agreed with your analysis to be able to include it. It was rational.
2: You know, the AG is doing his job. Right. We have worked very well with the state. You know, the the issue really is they had the, the churches. is not something they do all the time. Right. And, and until they work through how to do it and what to do, That's a good point. it just takes long
1: Right. They only do it one time. They That's only right. have one shot. That's now, right. you talk a lot about scale in your conference call. And I want people, remember, we're not hedge fund managers watch this thing. What does scale mean? I mean, you have all these people, 12.8 million people. What, what much more scale do you need?
2: Well, we're, we're going to keep growing. You okay. either, either grow or get paid a whole lot more if we are staying the same. And, uh, and we want to grow. Okay. okay, And when you look at it, we're going to have probably a $65 billion run rate. If this thing all gets closed, up from $48 billion last year. So it's, that's important. We're the largest Medicaid, the largest long-term care, the largest exchange. And we continue to grow those businesses. We have new products. New states we're bringing on, we're waiting to hear from a couple.
1: I saw that in Texas, Arizona, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. These are all additive, right?
2: They are. There's one. There's one more contract in Pennsylvania that was contested. That's fine. We'll reapply, and okay. you know we prevailed twice. There times the charm.
1: All right. Now repeal in place, clearly out of the way. No worries, even about a midterm election at this point, are they?
2: I think the midterm election may be stabilize some things. Okay. You know, and uh, that may be important. Really. Yeah, I mean, if we stabilize things and start to grow it again, in terms mm-hmm. of the people want this exchange product. There's no getting away from it. Okay. Let
1: me ask you something. I was talking to my wife the other day, and she says, I was talking about, we had this contest here. I said, there's oh, this sage therapeutic. She said, well, that's one of those that has this drugs that cost a million dollars. I mean, what do you tell people these drugs that do cost, say, $800,000 a year for somebody?
2: Well, I think, you know, one, people need to get what they, they need to get. Okay. But I, we're working with people to say, how do you take a responsible approach? Yes, how do you? bring it down. Now and we're working, for example, with WashU. Eventually, we're going to do some things where they where they uh, invent a new product, come up with a new product, then we're going to have some uh, property rights on it, intellectual property, so it gets sold where a dose is hundred dollars. So we have to start to do some of those kinds of things, or maybe five dollars. Okay. So we have to find ways to start to set examples, to pour it down.
1: And what is your, uh, let's say someone wants to contest what you're doing. One of our viewers is in a centine property. And they said, well, listen, I, I didn't, I, I put my, I, I put my receipt in and, and they won't pay. What's the process?
2: There's, a, there's an appeal process. we through the company. And people sometimes try to jump too quickly to, oh, I'm going to take legal action or something. Right. If somebody's entitled to something, we want them to get it. And they will get it.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, I see biosimilars coming in, and uh, I see uh, some of the big drugs coming off patent. Uh, What can you do to make it so that the biosimilars have, uh, that that are are equal, are able to be approved more quickly? Can you lobby the FDA? If the
2: bioavailability is the same, then we will move to that. It has to be certified by the FDA, bioavailability is the same in the drug, then we go generic.
1: Okay, good. Now, last thing, as I did want to mention, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch named you the uh, band of the year. And I just thought you should mention what you did in Ferguson, because I thought that was really
2: amazing. Well, what we did is Ferguson, when I became chairman of the National Urban League, Mm -hmm. I learned what happened there could happen in 150 cities. So we saw they needed jobs. We opened up a service center when others were pulling out. That gave all the small businesses incentive to stay. We worked and we fixed some of the police issues in in the Mm -hmm. whole region. And uh, a lot of other companies joined in and helped as well in the whole area. You know, uh, Enterprise and some others were there as well. And so what we did is we've created a situation where property's coming back, people are happy, we had, we're at the schools, it's really fun to see.
1: Well, it's a great story, and that's why I wanted you to tell. Okay, that's Michael Nydorf. He's the chairman CEO of Centene. When this Fidelis acquisition closes, you're going to want to be in the stock, not that you shouldn't be in it right now. Thanks, Michael. Good to
2: see you. Thank you. Yourself. Good seeing you.
1: It is time It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate. time for the lightning round. Let's start with Barbara in Connecticut. Barbara.
2: Hi, Jim. I would love your advice on whether I should sell, hold, or buy more AT and T. I don't. You know,
1: look, AT and think is trying to is actually I think putting in a bottom because people are buying stocks, domestic companies that have high yields, where the cash flow is good, and I think that's AT and T. Let's go to Mark in New York. Mark.
2: A big bonus here to you, Mr. Kramer. You're the best.
1: I try to be. Geez, I don't know. I've been outsmarted by this market, lately. What's up?
2: I would like your opinion on New York's community bank. It seems that they've been dragging their feet insofar as share all the value. Uh, they seem It's too risky for stagnated. me, sir.
1: It's too risky. I think we've got some great American banks, the largest ones, that have been acting terribly but are worth a great deal. So I'd rather have you in one of those. Andre in Texas. Andre! Booyah from Texas, Kramer. Booyah. All right, Weatherford International. They've got interest payments on debt that cash flow can't cover. They keep picking the hand down the road, but I keep seeing a ton of buy rates. Is no, it's bottom? way too risky. Come on, man. Even the best of the best of the oil uh, service and drilling companies are not doing well. So we are not going to go down there and buy that one. I need to go to Jim in New York. Jim.
2: Hello, Jim. First time caller from New York. I want to thank you for all the guidance you've given me over the years. Oh, and you're I terrific. watch you every day. Thank you. I bought a big position uh, for $210 a share and got below support levels today of 204. And I'm him should I add, trim, or hold Raytheon?
1: Okay, Ray, I'm going to talk about Raytheon next week at our uh, one Saturday's boot camp. That I'm doing to try to get people to have discipline. We'll be talking about the rules. And the answer is we bought some for my trust and we did not want to violate the basis. It is still above the basis. But I think Raytheon was way overdone to the down. Actually, I thought it's, it's getting ludicrous. But the defense stocks are now hated. Why? Because of peace breaking out, maybe in Korea. That is why this stock is going down. I think that is just crazy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round.
0: The Lightning Round is
2: sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: You might not have realized it from today's action, but Microsoft and Intel are in such great shape that I almost feel like I've stepped into the time machine and going back to the 90s when Wintel ruled the world. That's seriously the impression I got from listening to the Microsoft and Intel conference calls last night. Except this time it's all about the data center, not the personal computer. Yep, Intel and Microsoft are reigning supreme here, and it's eerily reminiscent of the way things were 20 or 30 years ago when both companies struggled to meet the insatiable demand of their computers, even if this wasn't reflected in their stocks, with Microsoft doing next to nothing today and Intel actually going lower after rallying big in last night's trading. As Intel CEO Brian Krzanich crowed last night on the call, "Unrelenting demand for computing performance driven by the continued growth of data and the need to process, analyze, and store and share their data has forced Intel to go all out manufacturing chips for the data center, which grew at 24% in the cloud, which soon 45%, and the uh, comm service provider group up 33%. The average selling prices for these chips are extremely high, especially compared to the personal computer business. In fact, I'm stunned that Intel ended up closing down today. Proof of this market's insanity, if you ask me. I say the weakness is a gift as you're getting that phenomenal quarter now for free. Microsoft's cloud business absolutely crushed it, because as CEO Sachin Nadella pointed out on the call, we're still in the early innings of cloud transition. That made it possible for Microsoft to generate 10% organic growth, astonishing for a $725 billion company. And when you think about the data center, you have to think about Microsoft's chief rival too. let's throw in, and they reported yesterday, Amazon. It gave you perhaps the biggest earnings surprise I may have ever seen. What can I say about Amazon? Sales up 43% to $51 billion. That's insane given that this is one of the largest companies on Earth. Wall Street expected them to make a billion and said they made a billion nine. <laughs> Come on. Again it's the cloud active users increase 250% year-over-year in their in the web services, and that's what happens when you have a seven-year head start over the competition from Google, Microsoft, and IBM. That was CEO, Jeff Bezos, explained, and, as so I quote, as a result, the Amazon web services are by far the most evolved and most functionally rich, end quote. He pointed out that Amazon web services had quote, remarkable acceleration, end quote, for two quarters in a row. Yep, it's like the whole PC and internet cycle from the 90s is being compressed and happening all at once, hence these amazing numbers. There's SURPRISING THING IS THE WAY MICROSOFT AND INTEL MANAGED TO COME BACK FROM FEELING LIKE ALSO RANTS. THEY'RE THE TWO TECH TITANS that uniquely missed out on the cell phone cycle because they were too busy trying to milk the personal computer market. What matters here, though, is that Wintel has absolutely not missed the data revolution. Plus, Microsoft picked up LinkedIn, a nice business, and was also able to profit from the accelerating gaming cycle thanks to Xbox. Intel chose to diversify into the autonomous driving with its mobile eye acquisition, another example of being in the right place at the right time. Of course, Amazon doesn't need to make a comeback at all because they've always been in great shape. They missed out on nothing and right now, the company's firing all cylinders. But I mentioned Microsoft, Intel, and yes, Amazon, because they have something in common. These companies have insane demand, which translates into real pricing power. And in each case, the story is still in its early innings. Not the first inning, but no later than the third or fourth. Honestly, it's just like where Microsoft and Intel were in 1993, right when the PC and the Internet converged. The story was just getting started. Yet at the time, many people thought it was totally played out. Ninth inning. These days, investors are making the same mistake with the cloud. Yeah, it looks like we've been embracing the cloud forever. But it's really like when Intel first introduced the Pentium 25 years ago, and suddenly every household needed a computer. At the same time. Intel stock has already doubled based on its previous line of chips from the '46, with its sh- uh, share price had gone from $.50 to 3 bucks. Take a look, old chart in the 90s. Everyone had thought the big move had occurred after that, that the large gains, dollar to3 bucks had come and gone. Seven years later, Intel stock peaked at 72. No, that kind of move won't happen again. The companies have gotten way too large. But just as the 46 to stock move was totally unexpected, in fact, it was written off as a desperate bid by Intel to force people to upgrade, I think the next leg of the cloud story will take a lot of people by surprise, too. Of course, the trade stuff has to get out of the way, the tariffs, because that's what's really driving things now. When Intel's then-CEO, Andy Grove, told you that we were in the early innings at that time, he sounded foolish. Turns out he was too negative. We weren't just in the early innings. We'd only reached the end of the first inning. Don't let the bears fool you. The cloud cycle still has a long way to go, and Intel and Microsoft remain fabulous ways to play it. Even as Amazon, after the remarkable run, ain't so bad either. Stick with Kramer. Getting word at the end that Sprint and T Mobile will announce some sort of deal on Monday to merge. We don't know the details, but it looks like it's going out. Right where it is right now. Like I said, there's always more. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Claver, and I will
0: see you Monday. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.